Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Please be seated. It was a perfect day, like any other day. And they were doing their job of tending to the garden, pruning the plants, fertilizing the roots, and watering so that they grew sufficiently. When the serpent walked up, beautiful and perfect in every way, she liked the serpent. She always found him to be pretty and was delightfully clever. But that day, he looked into her eyes and said something that would change the world forever. It, was that, it wasn't that he said a lot or even made any sort of persuasive arguments, and she wished she had known better how to respond. No, all the serpent said was, did God really say? It, wasn't, it was just a tiny seed of doubt, a tiny nudge away from the truth. They had hoped not to fail God. They had hoped not to disappoint them. And as such, they set laws that were higher than God's. God was their friend. And how they loved those walks in the garden at the cool of the day. How they liked to be with him. He loved them so well. He loved them perhaps better than she loved her own children. But that question now haunts us. Haunts her. Why did she fall for such a silly little thing? Why didn't she answer better when he asked, did God really say? We have two accounts of Satan tempting people. Two accounts of the devil seeking to trip up people. He first goes after Adam and Eve. He goes after the first people, our first parents, and tempts them into disbelief. Even if it's just a momentary disbelief, are you certain was enough? He asks, and it's this little question that is enough to lead them into sin. Then, when instead of telling the devil what God actually said, instead of telling the devil to go away as Christ did for us this morning, he, for what he was suggesting was evil, they added to God what God said. The devil sees his opportunity and he tempts Eve further. He tempts her by calling God a liar <clears throat> and promising her power. And she, said, and she and Adam took and ate and sin entered into the world. Sin infected them and has infected everyone ever since. Sin has led to death, sickness, disease, pain, pain, anger, disbelief, war, famine, poverty, and even natural disaster. Sin is deadly. Sin is the dreadful infection that plagues us all. But Satan also tempted the second Adam. Satan came into the wilderness and asked him to prove himself. But Christ owed no one proof, but rather set for us a model of rebuke, a model of putting off the devil, a model of total dependence upon God the Father. 
the wilderness, spiritual or literal, is an interesting place. Because it is in the wilderness that there are deep, dark dangers. There are pitfalls. There are demons. There is dread and terribleness. But two, the wilderness is an opportunity to seek total dependence upon God. I have seen one of three things often happen in the wilderness when we enter into one of those seasons. Whether it be the intentional abstinence of Lent, the intentional mortification of the flesh, or that of seasons of disappointment, disaster, or spiritual darkness. First, we can be tempted into hardening our hearts. Tempted into death, tempted into saying that God is not good. God does not love and care for us. And so in our despondency, we cast him aside for this present trial seems too dark and too hard. That is the first lie. Second, we can be tempted into self-reliance, tempted into saying we do not need God nor anyone else, but we can handle this present trial on our own. We can find within ourselves all the answers that we need. We can find happiness in the wilderness of the world. And so we kick God out and strive to be our own God. This is the second lie. We live in a time where everyone has their own truth, where everyone is encouraged to be true unto themselves. We are told to find our truths within ourselves, but such advice leaves to spiritual disaster. No, we have that ancient definition of happiness that is far better. Happiness that draws us closer to Christ. For Christian happiness is that same feeling that we get when we see that friend from afar coming towards us. And this leads us to the third thing that can happen in the wilderness. We see God coming towards us. And like the father of the prodigal God, of the prodigal son, we see that our God running to us, and we are reminded of that we desperately need to lean upon God in the wilderness. Desperately need to become saturated in His Word. Desperately need to lean in total and complete dependence upon Him. Desperately need the Lord to be our shepherd. Need the Lord to trust. In the, that he will lead us through the darkness and into the light of knowing him. And that is the good thing that happens in the wilderness. The wilderness has such power over people because it is there that we can meet God. It is in the wilderness of fasting or the wilder, literal wilderness that we can learn to become completely dependent upon God but at the same time, it is there that we can learn self-reliance. It is not without some irony that some have noted that the desert, from out of the desert came the great teachings of the first monks, the great teachings that came out of their total reliance upon God. And yet at the same time, out of the desert comes the city that was completely man-made, where man taught himself to be dependent upon no one else, and the city is now known by the moniker of Sin City. It is in the desert that Jesus wrestled with Satan and put him away. 
It is in the desert, not in the garden, that Jesus overcame the temptation that Adam and Eve failed to resist. It is in the desert that Christ showed us how to abide deeply in him so that we may not fail as our first parents failed. As modern and postmodern Americans, we tend to forget that we wrestle, well, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, as St. Paul so eloquently puts it. We tend to forget that the devil and his minions are very real are like a roaring lion that seeks the destruction of souls. We have reasonable exp explanations for everything. And as such, we have taught ourselves not to put on the whole armor of God, but an even deeper self-reliance. But this is not what Christ modeled for us. And this is not the response we are called to. It was the great evangelical Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle who summarized what we first read, and that tells us, reminds us of how deep and dark and dangerous the devil really is. What a real and mighty enemy we have in the devil. He is not afraid to assault even the Lord Jesus himself. Three times over, he attacks God's own son, our Savior, was tempted by the devil. It was the devil who brought sin into the world at the beginning. It, this is he who vexed Job, deceived David, and gave Peter a heavy fall. This is he whom the Bible calls a murderer, a liar, a roaring lion. This is he who enmity, who, this is he whose enmity to our soul never slumbers and never sleeps. This is he for nearly 6,000 years has been working at one work to ruin men and women, and to draw them to hell. This is he whose cunning subtlety passes man's understanding, and who often appears as an angel of light. Let us not, therefore, have the hubris nor the foolishness of our modern age, and think that the devil no longer roams, and think that we see with our eyes and touch with our eye hands is all that there is. Let us be ever mindful of that great enemy of God and mankind and let us take upon ourselves that whole armor of God. Let us take upon ourselves the victory that we find in Christ. Now, St. Matthew does something interesting with his Gospels. As we read it, it becomes very clear that he's writing to an early Jewish audience of Christian believers. We know that this is his audience because he takes for granted that his readers would understand Jewish ritual and tradition and does not take the time to tell them, to explain them to his readers as St. Mark does. But he does something else interesting. The Old Testament is found with men who are near deliverers, nearly the ones who crush the head of the serpent, crush the head of that evil tempter. Noah Abraham, Joseph, Moses, and David, to name just a few. Each one came close. Each one models for us faith in a beautiful way. But each one sinned and fell short. 
But over and over again, St. Matthew points his readers to the ways in which Christ fulfilled that which had come before him, the ways that they had failed. He delivered, he is delivered from Egypt. He wanders in the wilderness. He gives books of teaching on two tablets of the law. For St. Matthew, Christ is the new Israel. He is creating the new Israel. He is opening the door finally and fully to be a blessing to all nations as Abraham was promised. Christ is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. It was interesting Friday, we were talking at the confirmation class about this passage. And the way it is written, it's not entirely clear. Did the devil tempt Jesus throughout the 40 days? Or did the devil wait until Jesus was weakened and tired? The first few verses aren't clear. For Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, Perhaps the devil was like St. Paul's thorn in the flesh, constantly tempting him, causing him to struggle and thereby reminding Christ of his need to lean into God the Father and not on his own understanding. To lean not into the fleshly power, but perhaps the devil came at the end of the temptation, when his flesh was weak, when the days were starting to feel longer and more exhausting. And I think I read it the latter way, that he was sustained until the end, and as his fasting was coming to the end, the devil came and he tempted him. Charles Spurgeon summarizes this rather eloquently. Throughout the long fast, he was miraculously sustained. But at the close of it, hunger began to try him. We are more in danger when our labors or our suffering is over than during the continuance. Now that the Lord drained dry by his long fast is made to faint by hunger, the enemy is upon him. The devil is the great coward that takes mean advantage of us. The devil waits until the most vulnerable and until we are the most vulnerable and then launches various and sundry attacks upon us. He whispers, you are not good enough for God to love. You are too broken to despise or else you can do this on your own. You don't need him. You are stronger, more independent. You are better than God. Both of these lies are lies that live within our culture today. Lies that say you are irredeemable or that you don't need redemption. My friends, we desperately need redemption. We are not otherwise fine without Christ. We are not mostly okay and Jesus is like vitamins that make us nice and strong. But most, but most of us don't particularly need him. No, we desperately need him in our lives. Outside of him, we are dead, but there is no sin too dark, no depth too deep that God cannot find us there. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So do not believe the lies of the devil, but Christ and Christ resist that temptation. The temptation to find sustenance outside of God, the temptation to test God, and the temptation to power on his own. We face these temptations as well, and we find our hope not in ourselves and our own power, but in Christ and Christ alone 
for he overcame them for us. Ultimately, it is no surprise that Christ overcomes these temptations, for he is the incarnate God, Emmanuel, God with us. But at the same time, he does what so many before him failed to do. He starts the great crushing of the wicked serpent's head. He shows us that he will overcome evil for our sake. And he says to Satan, God's word is where true life comes from, not bread alone, not temporality alone. He says, do not trust God, for you, Satan, have already thrown yourself down from heaven, and the angels did not catch you. I have come down from heaven willingly, and on the last day I will be raised up above all others. And in that raising up, I will raise all who trust in me. I will crush your head and destroy your power. He says, no, I will only worship God the Father. I will only serve him. And in that, I will inherit the earthly kingdom that will fall away. But the eternal, king, it, but the eternal kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. Christ overcomes death, overcomes the devil in the wilderness when so many others had failed. And as such, in the wilderness of our lives, in the wilderness of dark, dreadful days, in the wilderness of our Lenten fast, we are called not to trust in our own strength and power, but in the strength that we find in Christ alone. He models for us that which St. Paul fleshes out in his epistle to the Ephesians. He models taking up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand fast, stand firm, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the readiness to given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, that you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with prayer and supplication. To the end, keep alert. All perseverance, make supplications for all the saints. The devil throws at Jesus every attack he can think of. He even manipulates the very word of God. Jesus responds back with the word of God, rightly understood. Likewise, St. Paul paints for us a picture of the word of God in of the word of God as an offense against the attacks of the devil. But we too, but too, we hold the faith that Christ has created in us a new heart. That we let the truth of Christ bind us together. We put on Christ's righteousness that it may become our own righteousness that our inner lives would be protected. We guard our minds with the reality and the fact of our salvation. The Lord has given sufficient protection, regardless of what the attacks of the devil may be. As we travel through this Lenten season, as we see our church blessed, as we see our lives become more rich in the Lord, let us keep in mind to put on the whole armor of God, let us keep in mind that Christ has perfect, perfectly put away the temptations of the devil. Let us not depend on ourselves, but throw all our cares upon the Lord, 
that we may find our riches and joys in Christ alone. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.